morning, church. I think perhaps the greatest song ever written was that song we just sang at the end. Some of you sounded really good, too. Amen? Yeah, you, I, I was talking about you, brother. Well, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you're here today. I really am. I have to tell you, I, uh, beginning of the first service, uh, someone came in and saw that I was dressed out in a coat and tie and uh, kind of made a smiling remark, said, what, someone died? And I said, yeah, they did, I'm sorry, you know. So it was kind of funny. Uh, let's, let's, let's take our Bibles this morning, okay? And I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have a Bible, open it. If you have an iPad, open it. If you have an iPhone I, I, or a phone, what smartphone, open that to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, okay? For our guests, or if you haven't been here in a few weeks, we've been walking through a wonderful chapter called the love chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is called the love chapter. Apostle Paul's emphasizing uh, a certain kind of love we'll talk about a little bit today, uh, wanting us to know, wanting his readers to know that the distinguishing mark, the number one virtue of a believer in Jesus Christ is love, not just any kind of love, okay? We've been talking about that. We'll talk about it a little bit more today, but a God love in our society today, we as Christians uh, have trouble defining what uh, God love really is. And so we want to talk a little bit about that, okay? Last week, I think we talked about some of the conditions of biblical love. This week, I want to talk about some of the characteristics of a, of a God love. And then next week, we'll kind of close out and talk about some of the priorities of a God love. Now, I, want to, I just want to talk to you for just a moment, church, and I want you to kind of watch me for a moment with the preteens on Wednesday night when I'm teaching them and they get a little rowdy. I say to them, look at my nose, look at my nose. So adults, look at my nose for just a moment, okay? I think we need to kind of talk about for a moment what God love really is, okay? Uh, our society today gets it all messed up. I, what I want you to know as we begin that God love is not soft and it's not sloppy. It's not a love that does not have standards uh, or controls to it. That's called hedonism. That's called just focusing on love and doing whatever I want to do because it makes me feel good and it makes me get what I want and play what I want to play. That's not God love, okay? That is the word hedonism. And most of what you see on TV today, most about what you see when you read your magazines and all those kind of things is not God love, young people. It's hedonism. It's an ungodly kind of love, okay? However, let me also say and add to this that God love is not hard and it's not hindering in life. That's called legalism. That kills spirit. That ruins God energy, if I can even say that. A positiveness maybe would be a better way to say that. And so what we have to do is be careful that when we talk about love, we're not talking about some hedonistic pleasure, but we're also not talking about something that just kills the spirit of a person, okay? When we talk about God love, we're talking about God. And I believe that the only way we can really understand God love is go to the Scriptures through the eyes of Scripture because humanity tends to warp love. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about priorities, verses 4 through 7 today. Actually, my intent was to get all the way through verse 12 today, okay? Uh, but as I began to study and as I began to write all this out, I began to realize that uh, 
there's no way we can do it in the time frame that I have. And then, of course, Dee went home to be with the Lord, and we have a, a service at 1 o'clock. So maybe that's why God just is going to have us concentrate on these chapters, okay? Let me, let me mention to you, and I know you've heard me say this, and if you've been to church um, any length of time, you've heard guys, preachers, teachers define God love as agape love. How many of you have heard that term agape? Okay, and, and that's what, when the Bible talks about God love, when it talks about real love, it's talking about agape love. And let me define that. It's, it's not a love of feeling or a love of emotion, although there'll be some of that in there, okay? Obviously, if you love someone, you're going to get the, the, the warm fuzzies, aren't you? And there's something in your heart going to go thump, 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 okay? But when the Bible's wanting to define love, it's not talking about the feelings or the emotions as it is the, the uh, commitment or the decision of your will to love. It's, it's a love of decision regardless of how someone acts, regardless of how someone can or cannot respond to you, regardless, girls, ladies, wives, listen, it's a love of the decision regardless of how your man looks, acts, or smells, okay? It's a, deci yeah, it's a decision that you make that I am choosing to love this person based upon their worth and just based, be, based upon because God is loving. God loved me that way. I share with the first service that, uh, that today is my 41st wedding anniversary. Yeah, 41 years. And uh, my wife, 41 years ago, she said regardless of how he looks, regardless of how he acts, and regardless of how he smells, I am going to choose to love him. That's what the love in 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. I choose to love just like God loved. And let me tell you, when you do it that way, it frees you from human imperfections. It frees you from judging other people. It frees you from carrying around all of the junk that we tend to carry around an awful lot. And it frees you from being miserable and also... When you act that way, people don't want to be around you anyway. Let me tell you something, gang. Expectations and realities never meet in this life. You understand that, don't you? Young people, expectations and the real thing, reality, never meet in this life. And so if you're going to love based upon conditions, based upon expectations, you're going to be in for a hard life. You're going to be in for a hard marriage. You're going to be in for, for a hard way to make it in life. Let me tell you, I, gang, we were created by God to live in a garden without weeds. But something went tragically wrong. Sin entered. Weeds began to grow in our garden. And as long as we live, weeds are going to grow in our garden. Now, when we get to glory, guess what? We don't need Roundup, huh? When we get to glory, there'll be no weeds in our garden. But there are now. And we've got to deal with those things. And as we deal with those things, the only way to make it through is to love God's kind of way. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to his readers. I know you've stood a lot, but I'm not going to read God's Word without standing. So let's read verses 4 through 7 together. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, okay? Verse 4. Love, Tom is patient. 
Tom, love is patient. You want to insert your name in there? Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Is not arrogant. Verse 5, does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. I'm going to dwell on that a lot here in a moment. Verse 6, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Here's the summary. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. And then right at the beginning of verse 8, love never fails. Father, in Jesus' name, as we walk through these wonderful characteristics of biblical love, help us to understand it and apply it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks. Be seated. Keep your Bible open. I'll tell you what I want to do today. I, I, I hope this isn't a preaching exercise. I hope it's more of a teaching exercise, more of a lesson, because I just want to walk through these characteristics of real love, okay? And let me tell you something cool. When you read in your English text here, whatever version you read, these, these uh, I think there's like 15 different expressions of love. They're going to look like a noun, a thing to you, okay? That may look like an adjective describing love, but our English doesn't do justice to the original. When Paul wrote this, all of these 15 virtues that he uses or description he uses here are really not nouns or adjectives. They're verbs. Do you catch that? In other words, the emphasis is not on what love is, but the emphasis is on what love does. And he wants us to know that God love is only love when it acts, when it does something. That's why it's seen in the cross. God loved us. God gave his only begotten son to us. Isn't that right? And so what Paul does when we walk through these things, I don't want you to think of these as a noun or a thing. I want you to think as it's something in action as a verb that has life to it, okay? Let me give you an example. Well, look at, look at uh, these boxes here. You know, what is that? That's love. It's easy to say love, but when you talk about, I don't know how many hundred boxes here, we're talking about doing something. We're talking about love in action. We're talking about a verb. And let me tell you, my son is a missionary in Macedonia. They get some of these boxes, and they'll give some of these boxes out to kids who will never have any kind of a Christmas. You know what that is? According to 1 Corinthians 13, gang, that's called love. On the table back there, some of you signed up to buy a, a, a needy child a Christmas gift. You know what that's called? That's called love. We had more turkeys than we've ever had this past week to help people who are not quite as fortunate as us. And so we have all kinds of turkeys to go away and baskets of food to give away. You know what that's called? According to 1 Corinthians 13, love. Okay? We have a group that... Uh, is helping feed the homeless under the bridge. They go out on their own time and their own money, and, and, and they, they fix meals, and, uh, and they help the homeless. You know what that's called, according to 1 Corinthians 13? Love. By the way, I'm holding a blanket. They're also trying to supply blankets. getting cold out there. They're also supplying blankets. They need about 60 more. And so before you go and eat your turkey, if you have time, if you could drop by a blanket. We need about 60 blankets. If you could do it by Wednesday, you would help us, and uh, that's called 
love, okay? So that's what Paul's talking about. Now let's run through this list real quickly. Look at verse 4 with me, and let's first talk about what love produces, okay? Look at verse 4. Love is patient. Now what does that mean? Well, it means that, it, it literally, it means to be stretched out or long-tempered. What Paul is wanting us to know is that love restrains itself. Love doesn't explode. Love doesn't just explode and open up and blow away things. Love chills out. How's that? Love takes a chill pill. And what's interesting, the way this is written in the Bible, when it's talking about love, it's not really talking about circumstances, it's not talking about situations, but it's all, generally it's always a reference to dealing with people, which is our greatest challenge anyway, isn't it? How many of you ever had a two-year-old in your house, huh? Terrible twos, you know what they are? They give way to terrible threes, you know? Why is that? That's just who they are. So love doesn't explode on them. Love takes a, a chill pill. In fact, when it's used in Scripture, most of the time it's a reference to how God deals with us. And if God deals with us patiently, then I would suggest that maybe we are to deal with other people patiently as well. I don't know if you've ever heard of Christendom. He was an early church father. Here's what he wrote about love being patient. He said, it is a word which is used of the man who has been wronged and has the power to avenge himself, but chooses not to. Oh, I've been hurt. I've been wrong. I'm right, they're wrong. And I have within me the power of revenge. I can get them, but I choose not to. Love, dear people, is patient. Okay, number four, second, number, verse 4, love is kind. Where patience takes anything, kindness gives everything. We could say it's courteous or it's good. Love is a giver, not a taker. Oh, dear people, everywhere you live, everywhere you work, everything you read, and everything you see today will define love as taking, never giving. Love is kind. Love gives. Look down at verse 6. Here's another producer. Love is truthful. Look at verse 6. It's called a pure heart. Love does not enjoy when others fall into sin. Love does not point fingers and murmur and gossip gossip gleefully when others fail so you'll feel better about yourself. You see, love rejoices in truth. Only truth wins in the end, isn't that right? Love rejoices in truth. Those are the positive things that Paul mentions. Okay, let's talk about some prohibiting things. Look at back to verse 4. Love is not jealous. Jealousy and envy are kissing cousins. Shakespeare said that Jealousy is a green sickness. King Solomon in Proverbs says it's rottenness to the bones. You see, love does not make you want what others have, and love does not resent others when they have it and you don't. You follow that? Love does not make you want what others have, and love doesn't make you resent that they have it and you don't. So it's not jealous. Number two there is doesn't brag. That's from a root word meaning windbag, where jealousy tears down others, bragging inflates itself. One of them, when someone said, that's what a toad does before it croaks, you know. 
I, uh, I tell you what, I, let me give you a definition of bragging. Uh, it's what Don did a moment ago when his granddaughter was up on the big screen. I, I know, I watched. He swelled up like a toad, you know. That's my grandbaby. Well, that's what, that's what bragging, you know, love, to, love, love doesn't brag, okay? Look again, not arrogant. What does that mean? Well, love is not prideful. It's not conceited. And if there's one thing, gang, that God hates, is pride. I think God understands our sinful nature. He had to. He gave a son. I think God understands our imperfections. He'll be patient with us in those areas where we fall short. But let me tell you, listen to me, God hates pride. And if there's one thing that defines the Christian community today and many Christian circles today, it is pride. And pride tears down grace, for it distorts depravity. Pride makes people think they're really better than they are. They're really worthy of being saved. And there's really some inherent goodness in them. And the Bible never says that. The Bible says we're sinners before a holy and righteous God. We have to be redeemed. There has to be a sacrifice for sin. God has to be satisfied because of sin. And only Jesus Christ could pay the penalty of sin. And pride distorts it. R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite authors, calls it an island of self-righteousness. But you see, folks, there is no self-righteousness except what God deposits into you through grace. That's why we call it justification by faith alone. It's what God deposits, imputes into you the very righteousness of God because there is no self-righteousness in yourself. You need a Savior, you see. Next, love does not act unbecoming. I mean, it's not rude. It's not disciplined in action. Love has manners. Guys, I'm talking, I'm preaching to the choir. Love opens the doors for others. I shared in the first service, Paula, I don't know if you remember, but when Jeff and Amy got married, he's just an old dumb kid, you know. And he got married, and they took off walking. And he walked ahead of her, opened the door, and got in. And I said, wait a minute, Jeff, get back here. Open the door for Amy. You know, and I have to tell you, I used to do that an awful lot. You know, we've been married 41 years, so she doesn't expect it, but I should do it. Love, I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, not get myself in trouble here, you know. Uh, love opens the doors for others, okay? Notice next, love does not seek its own. It's not selfish. It's not self-centered. It's not resentful when things don't go the way you want them to go. I can tell you, life's not going to go the way you want them to go. That's why you have grace, right? That's how you endure, right? It's not seek its own. It's not provoke the next one. It does not lead to outbursts of anger, explosions of emotion against people. That word could be translated convulsions. Love doesn't cause convulsions. And then this last one, which I think is critical. I may dwell on it a little bit more. Love does not keep score. You got that? Love does not keep score. You know what that means? It's actually a financial term. It's an accounting term. Now, today's environment, you know, they have all these computers and things. Back when I was younger, 
uh, they would keep ledger books. You know what I'm talking How many of you know what a ledger book is? Well, good, I don't feel so old. Uh, but they would keep books, right? And they would have a ledger. And they would write down how much you owe, and when you make a payment, they would subtract that. That's called keeping books or keeping a ledger. What Paul literally says here is this. Love does not keep a record book, does not keep a ledger. Now, gang, I want you to listen to me. Years ago, I was in a conference, and a man said he thought the greatest hindrance to joy and victory in the Christian life is the failure to receive unconditional forgiveness and the failure to give unconditional forgiveness. Some of you are carrying around books. No one might can see it, but it's a ledger in your heart. It may be a ledger in your mind, and somewhere along the course of your life, you've been injured and you've been hurt, and it wasn't your fault. Someone dumped on you. And you carry it around and you carry it around and it destroys your victory. It ruins your joy and you don't have peace. Let it go. Burn the books. Do what the ungodly politicians do. Shred it, you know. Get rid of it. Or you'll never be able to have God love operating, God love pushing you along in life. Story is told about a, a man and his wife were having trouble. And so they went in to see the counselor, went in to see an Andrew, okay? And they were sitting before, I'm going to use you, Andrew, sitting before Andrew. And the guy says, every time we argue, my wife gets historical. And Andrew said, no, you mean hysterical? He said, no, historical. She remembers everything I've ever done. Don't do that. Burn it. Let it go. And I can, pro listen, I promise you, if you'll let it go, your life will radically change. In these 30 years of ministry, I've gone to bed hurt from time to time. But God is my witness. I don't know that I've ever gone to bed real mad. I know this. For some reason, God has allowed me to go to bed, even when Paul and I would have fights and she would be wrong and things. Uh, even when I, we, we didn't go to bed angry. God just didn't give us that capacity to do that. And I want to tell you, before God, in all these 30 years, and almost the 18 years here, gang, I've never gone to bed uh, I'm really angry at you guys. I may have gone to bed with a tear from time to time, you see. But it's a victory that God's grace will give you, and it'll radically alter and change your life. Do what God did. Lay it at the cross. And let the blood of the Lord Jesus cover it and atone for it. And then go on and live your life. Now look at verse 7. Hear how he summarizes it all up, okay? First of all, he says it bears all things. Now what that means is that it, it covers with silence. It it's like an umbrella that it kind of covers up. The sin, it, it doesn't expose sin, it doesn't condemn a person, it conceals the sin and let God deal with that sin. It bears all things. Number two, it believes all things. It simply means that it believes the best. Love is not cynical or condemning. Love understands that people are imperfect and imperfection is going to happen in this life. And so it believes the best regardless. I told the story in the first service. You may not get this. 
lot of folks don't get my stories. But it was back in the days when doctors were called to the house and a husband got sick and the wife called the doctor and the doctor came and he went in and he examined the man and he came out and set the wife down and said, ma'am, I just want you to know, your husband, he don't look good to me at all. And she said, well, doc, he don't look good to me either, but he sure is good to the kids, you know. <laughs> you got to think the best is the idea of that story. You know, you think the best, you hope the best, because love believes all things. And I want to tell you, if you don't believe that, then I'm not sure where you stand with God, you know. You've got to believe in the best of your spouse and the best of your kids and the best of your church, because that's what love is, okay? Hope's all things. What he means by that is love is optimistic. Love says failure's not final. Aren't you glad? Oh. Aren't you glad that failure's not final? Amen? Aren't you glad that failure's not final? That's why we got a cross to cling to. That's why we have a cross to run to when we mess up in this world. And then the last one, love endures all things. Let me tell you what that is. That's a military term, okay? It's a term that means that right in the heat of the battle in the front lines, right at the very center of the battle, when the battle is raging, love never gives up and walks away. You understand what I'm saying to you? We live in a world today, a Christian world today, where half of marriages end. Somehow, in the heat of the battle, when the fires are raging, somehow there's this mindset that you can just walk away from it. But that's not Bible love, see? How many of you have been married over five years? Okay. How many of you have been married over 10 years? Oh, how many over 15? How many over 20 and wish it was 10? How many have been married 20 years? Okay. Anybody over 30 years? Oh, well, cool, see? I think you've learned, if you've, been, if you've been married at least 20 years, you've learned some things about battles, right? Now, everything in you screams, go to the deer woods, or go to the lake, or whatever it is you escape to. Love doesn't let you go to the lake. Love doesn't let you quit. Love endures all things, whatever the cost may be. Anything in life that's worth anything at all is going to cost you and cost you greatly. But love says it's worth it. See, and we need that today. Verse 8, Paul says, love never fails. Why? Well, because it's biblical love. It's divine love. It's what God says is right. Okay, now let me go back to something. Um, I want to go back to that record-keeping and in, in, when, I, when I studied this week, the reason I didn't feel like I could get through the other verses is because I found myself really um, struggling at that, that little phrase, does not keep records. And then in my heart, I kept going back to it. I kept going back to it. And I said, well, God, this would be good to go back to and stop, okay? And I want you to listen to me. I said this a moment ago. Everybody in this room has been hurt. Everybody in this room has had been dumped on, and it wasn't your fault, okay? But if you've kept the ledger, 
If you've not burned the books, then you are not loving God's way. You hear what I'm saying to you? If you can't let the sins go, if you can't let the injuries go, if you can't let the hurt go, then you are not living biblically. You're not being a Bible-driven, God-loving believer and follower of Christ. My suggestion to you is to get real gut-level honest with yourself. And if you've never dealt with it, get alone. Get a sheet of paper. Write down every hurt that's ever been inflicted upon you. Let the Holy Spirit, give the Holy Spirit time to draw that out of you. Write it down on a piece of paper. Read it. And say, God, I forgive that person. I forgive that event. I forgive it. Whatever it is, you have to forgive. Then you shred it. You burn the books. And you get off off your knees. And you live your life in the glory, for the glory of God. In just a little while, we're going to bury a good man. Let me tell you, he died quicker than he thought. You're going to die quicker than you think. The fact of the matter is, you get old fast, okay? A short life is not worth carrying books, opening them up and rehearsing them every so often. Write it down, give it away, shred it, and live. Father, in Jesus' name right now, I pray for some hurting people. I don't know who they are. I don't know their life. I don't know what's going on. But God, you do. And I pray. There have been a lot of things we covered, Father. There's just one, two, three, four, five, and it's all there. But it's hard to deal with it. But God, my heart is... That last one, we don't need to keep score because that destroys victory and joy and peace. Maybe today, dear Father, maybe just by coming and kneeling or whatever, there in the seat, some folks need to burn the books so they can have victory. So God, right now we commit this few moments to you to do whatever you decide to do. Maybe some today, Father, want to join, unite here. We'd love them. But God, your will and your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand together. As Stu begins to lead us, our staff will be here. We'll pray with you.